This is Box to Row with the Radio Boss, the Howard University Radio Network edition. The day of reckoning is coming. Box to Row with the Radio Boss, Donald Ware, brings you conversations with well-known sports, well-known figures. sports figures. The voice of Kevin Durant. You know, it's a joy to go to work and know that they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. Well-known actors. Chadwick Boseman. I had some great teachers. Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers. Musical artists. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Thank you for having me, Clay, in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. And takes from Donald on some of the hottest topics of the day. Real, real, relevant, relevant, radio. radio. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson. The one and only Jerry Rice. What is going on? She's Simone Biles. It was great. Hope that other young girls were to feel that being strong is so beautiful. The voice of Steph Curry. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college in Davidson. It's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk on Box to Row with the Weird Boss. I'm the Ed Honcho. This is Radio Boss. I'm the Ed Honcho. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. We got a whole lot to get to today. We're going to talk some college football. As a matter of fact, expansion. We're going to talk some expansion. We'll talk some. ACC. What is the ACC going to do now that the Big Ten is expanded? Now uh, that the Big, uh, the Southeast Conference also is expanding with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma. What came out of the ACC media day? We're going to talk with News and Observer, the News and Observer of Raleigh columnist Luke DeCock. Luke DeCott going to join us on the program. I, I really want to get his feel on where the ACC sits. And then also, does he think, even though Greg Lansky, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference or the SEC, came out and at, at SEC Media Days and said that um, the SEC is in no rush to really get any more teams currently. Is that is that the case? And is it a possibility that a school from the uh, ACC could be a candidate for the SEC, perhaps Clemson, uh, perhaps a a Miami? Uh, you know, you, you definitely, I mean, you, you're going to want to have a football school. There's no question about that. Um, you know, I, I don't think you would see, and I don't know this, but I mean, I don't think you'd see, and I don't know, but I don't think you'd see a Carolina uh, leave uh, per se, I, but I don't know that. Like, I'm not sure about that. So that's why we're going to talk with Luke Ducat of the News and Observer on the program. It got me to thinking, and I, you know, you talk about the landscape of of college athletics, and really, it's interesting because uh, the commissioner has taken the commissioner um, Commissioner Phillips of the ACC has sort of taken a stance of. Um, that that the ACC wants to get back to the purity of college football, making it about uh, the student athletes, which is definitely uh, di- goes directly against what the and now of course uh, uh, he meaning Commissioner Phillips was not the commissioner of the ACC at the time, but remember when the ACC uh, really went out and purged uh, the Big East. Purse quite a few teams from the Big East that first go around. Most notably, you look at Miami, Virginia Tech, um, Boston College uh, to try to make the to try to 
upgrade the football in the ACC, which isn't very good, particularly when you look at it uh, and you compare it against the other, really the other four conferences, at least as, as they stand uh, right now. And uh, so it's interesting. The, the ACC started this in terms of college football or college expansion or, you know, expansion. And now uh, the ACC, I think the ACC from everything I've read is in a solid position uh, from a, a, a situation with its institutions because till about 2036, because there's a big penalty. There's a huge penalty if the ACC or if a school decided to leave uh, the ACC. So there's a whole lot to talk about there. But when you look at, and I look at Maryland and Rutgers going back a couple of years ago and the decision to ultimately go uh, leave the ACC, or well, at least uh, uh, certainly when you look at Maryland, to leave the ACC to go to the Big Ten. Rutgers left the Big East to go to the Big Ten. Was there some forethought there? Did officials at Maryland see this coming? Because if you remember, Maryland caught a lot of flack behind this. And I grew up as a as a Maryland fan. I rooted for the basketball team, for the football team. I'm from uh, the DMV, so I rooted for Maryland heavily. And Maryland was not very good at football. The basketball was a different story, very good. But, of course, after the Lynn Bias uh, death, it really went through some troubling times and then ultimately uh, ascended back to the top of college basketball, winning the national championship in 2002. But maybe Maryland Rutgers foresaw this coming, decided. And remember, the exit fee at that time, I don't know what it was for Rutgers, but the exit fee at that time for the University of Maryland was like $50 million to leave the ACC to join the Big East, which, you know, we're talking about, I don't know, what, what has it been like, five, six, seven years ago now? I mean, that's not, I mean, it's not chump change. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you, the University of Maryland, I mean, that, 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 you, you, you can, you can, you know, that, that's, you can make that happen. Uh, right. I, I, I believe I read or heard where the exit fee for an ACC team would be like one hundred and twenty million dollars at this point. That is different, even though we're talking about five, six, seven years ago. I mean, that's that's a significant amount of money. I mean, if you are Clemson, like the most one of the most likely candidates, I think, you know, one of the most likely candidates would be a foot a, a an institution that you know, has a tradition and has played football well. We know Clemson has won a couple of national championships here in the last five or six years or so, a, a down year. I think what Clemson won nine or ten games last year, we call that a down year. So I, I look at that, you know, would it be a Miami? A Miami traditionally has been good in football. And by the way, Miami has not been good in football on a consistent basis since it joined the ACC, it's that a team, uh, a program. And, but I will say that the basketball was elevated uh, with Miami. The basketball was elevated, you know, with, um, with, with again, with a Miami uh, 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 leaving, of course, the Biggies to come to the ACC. The basketball definitely ha has gone up. Uh, but what school would uh, make a move? from the ACC to the Big East, if any. And we'll talk with Luke DeCock uh, more about that today here on the program. In the National Football League, Kyler Murray, we talked a lot last week about Lamar Jackson and what Lamar Jackson 
should possibly get in terms of uh, the monies from the Baltimore Ravens. Well, Kyler Murray agrees to a $230.5 million contract or deal over five years with the Cardinals. Okay? A lot of money for Kyler Murray. All right? A hundred five, no, $160 million are guaranteed. $105 million fully guaranteed upon signing the deal. Okay? So, I mean, he got paid. The average salary is $46.1 million. So it makes him the second, I think the second highest paid quarterback in terms of salary per year in the National Football League, only behind Aaron Rodgers. So while you look at the you look at the bag that Patrick Mahomes got, like $450 million. Um, yeah, I think it was over 10 years, $45 million. Well, on the average. You're talking about Kyler Murray making $46 million. And I don't know all of the incentives that he would have to hit to get the entire uh, $230.5 million. But you got to know that Lamar Jackson's got to get paid more than that. I mean, I, I don't know if you, and again, we talked about this last week. I mean, if it's the, I mean, is, 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 is uh, Jackson, Lamar Jackson looking for a, uh, you know, a higher per average? I mean, obviously you're going to be looking in terms of the over, you're going to be looking at the, the guaranteed money, that's what you're going to be looking at in terms of, uh, well, you're going to look at the overall contract, right? So if he's getting $230.5 million, I mean, you got to, I, I don't think you can even start, you can't even start having a conversation if you're not talking about 250 for Lamar Jackson and like 47, 48 million a year with something like 120 million. I mean, that's just, I'm just throwing that out there, but that would be my numbers. It would have, in other words, what I'm saying is it would have to be Lamar Jackson's contract would have to be bigger uh, than Kyler Murray's contract. And so that's really interesting uh, where we are. And I think it, it, it factors big. I mean, I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to get, you know, he's not going to get Aaron Rodgers' money. Um, I, I don't think he'll get Patrick Mahomes money. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, definitely got to be paid higher ultimately than what uh, Kyler Murray is making. Uh, with that being said, I mean, he's got to get paid, I, I, you know, probably more than Josh Allen uh, is getting paid also. So uh, the Kyler Murray signing, things get really interesting now for Lamar Jackson. I think we have more of a baseline because we hadn't really heard what Lamar Jackson wants, uh, but we get more of a baseline now, uh, I think, with the the Kyler Murray signing. Also, you know, we haven't talked about WNBA star Brittany Griner, who is being held in Russia. As a matter of fact, uh, she pleaded guilty uh, to bringing... Uh, hashish oil into Russia. Okay, so I, I think the strategy there was to say, okay, plead guilty and maybe they would lessen the sentence. When I first heard about this, I don't know what, going back like five months ago. And I mean, you, you know, you're in, we're in a, it's a political situation. Knew that from the jump. Uh, you know, if you're the United States and the allies, I mean, you've, uh, you know, you've got the, the uh, Russia's war on Ukraine. You've suffocated uh, Russia with a lot of sanctions. That that's a political move. You don't expect that the Russians are going to be lenient on Brittany Griner. 
So, man, I, I tell you what, hopefully and she's had some 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 Russian citizens come forth and testify on her behalf. Boy, we'll see ultimately what happens. But, uh, man, I, I, I tell you what I feel for Brittany Griner and her family. Again, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. I am your host, Donald Ware. Still to come, Luke Dacott, columnist with the News and Observer in Raleigh. Going to join us, going to get his thoughts on his takeaways from ACC Media Days. And up next, Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts wore a shirt at All-Star Game that says, we need more black people in the stadium. How is MLB marketing the game to the black community? I'll discuss next. Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trustpilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. ARW Home has warranty plans that cover your kitchen and laundry appliances, heating and air conditioning systems, electrical and plumbing systems, and much more. Call 800-941-2089 to customize your plan. Plus, ARW has partnered with Azurian to protect your new and used tablets, laptops, TVs, and other home tech from accidental damage and wear and tear. All plans come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-941-2089 for your free quote. That's 800-941-2089. Donald Ware is the radio boss. I'm the, I'm the head honcho. On Box to Row on Sirius XM. Got to do, got to do with it, man. Let's switch gears and talk some Major League Baseball right here, right now on the program. Look at Major League Baseball coming off a good good solid to good all-star game right solid to good all-star game uh in LA back in LA first time I think it was in like 40 years or something like that so you're talking about a solid uh MLB all-star game um you know we've talked in this program we don't talk a lot of unfortunately we don't talk a lot of baseball here on the program I'm a huge baseball guy like a huge baseball guy it's one of my favorite sports love to teach it Really enjoyed playing it when I was a youth. We don't talk a lot of baseball here uh, on the program for a number of different reasons. One of those being that Major League Baseball and its clubs don't really provide uh, for the for an opportunity uh, to be able to talk with some of its athletes, and so therefore, I mean, it's it's hard to talk. Uh, MLB, you know, our, our show, as you know, over the years, I mean, we can talk anything and about any subject matter. That's not the point. But what we like to do here is uh, bring you uh, closer to uh, the respective players in the various sports. And every other sport does it. We, we, you talk about the National Football League. We talk with players, coaches. You talk about uh, the NBA players, coaches. Um, you even talk about NASCAR, and we talk with drivers and have talked with some of the preeminent drivers here uh, over the last five to ten years. 
uh, in NASCAR, but Major League Baseball, uh, not so much. So that's one of uh, the reasons. I mentioned a good All-Star game. And uh, when you look at black players in Major League Baseball, the number is still low, uh, but I think you're seeing a lot of stars uh, that are that are really coming to the forefront. You look at a, you know, you certainly look at a Mookie Betts, uh, for example. You look uh, with the Dodgers. Uh, you look at a Byron Buxton who was playing uh, with Minnesota. So you look, you know, you look at an Aaron Judge uh, with the Yankees. I mean, you, you're looking at some players, Tim Anderson with Chicago. So you're looking at, you know, you've got some good young talent good young black talent in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting with respect to the All-Star game where the Dodgers outfielder, Mookie Betts, wore a shirt, a T-shirt specifically, that said, we need more black players at the stadium. And I thought that was interesting and, and interesting of Mookie Betts to wear that shirt. I mean, you can you can look at I mean, you can look at that shirt and look at its meaning from any number of 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 of, of different angles. And this is the angle that I'm going to look at it from. I'm going to look at it and take it literally for what the shirt says. Now, I mentioned some of the the players in Major League Baseball, black players you're still at around a 4% level of actually you know, black American players that are playing in Major League Baseball. But when you go back, I mean, think about it. I mean, we have all, as black folks, we've always played baseball and always been good at baseball. We were really great at baseball when Major League Baseball did not allow for us to play baseball. When you're going back to the days of the Negro Leagues, the Josh Gibsons, you know, the Satchel Pages, the Cool Papa Bells, the list go on and on. You know, uh, uh, Satchel Page eventually got an opportunity to play Major League Baseball, but it was well beyond um, his prime. So, you know, you you look at that, and uh, we've always been good, always had an interest in baseball, and that was obvious when you talk about Jackie Robinson going back to 1947, the first black player in the modern-day uh, Major Leagues, and then after that, I mean, subsequent players, Larry Dolby, uh, of course, who's a Hall of Famer, played his collegiate ball at uh, at HBCU, a Virginia Union, to Roy Campanella. Uh, I mean, some of the great players, you know, Bob Gibson as a pitcher. And, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Lou Brock. I mean, you could go Ozzie Smith. You can go on and on in terms of some of the great black players to play. But the numbers have continued to dwindle in two aspects. One, the number of players, and two, the number uh, of of the the interest that the black community has in Major League Baseball. I think part of that, part of the reason you don't see um, the great interest in terms of like at a stadium uh, or the great interest in terms of the black community watching Major League Baseball because... The black community doesn't see itself in Major League Baseball as it once did. And I'm going to put the blame, a part of the blame, squarely on Major League Baseball. The problem with Major League Baseball, and I've said this on this program 
uh, before. And I, I look at what Major League Baseball does. It. Major League Baseball every year on April the 15th celebrates Jackie Robinson Day. And the part of the problem to me with Major League Baseball is it always wants to celebrate what it's done and its past. It wants to talk about how it was part of the civil rights movement, which it was not. I mean, listen, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier was phenomenal, right? But I don't look at that as part of the civil rights movement as we know the civil rights movement. I look at an incident like Emmett Till. I look at that as part of the beginning of what we know as the modern civil rights movement. You can look at any number of different things. I mean, there was a march on Washington in 1957 you can look at brown and board of brown versus board of education in 1954 i mean you you can look at any number of things i mean you can look at you know pullman porter's strikes and so forth even before you know even before jackie robinson as part of the civil rights movement i i don't like it when major league baseball touts itself but to me we talk a lot about Jackie Robinson and about the past in terms of black players the problem is major league baseball is not promoting it's current players, black players, to the black community. And I think that is, an abs- that is a huge problem. In the black community, we want to see ourselves. We see ourselves in the National Football League. We see ourselves in basketball. And, you know, basketball uh, and the NBA specifically has always, I mean, there's been racism throughout the course of history. We know this. Uh, the NBA's record is is very good now uh, when you talk about uh, coaches. It's it, And it's been good probably since Bill Russell became the first black head coach uh, for the Celtics in the, in the late 60s. Um, you know, it's probably been pretty good since then uh, in terms of black coaches being hired in the NBA, but it took us a while to get to that point. The National Football League, not so much in terms, and and, and by the way, in the NBA, even in front office positions um, as well. We start, it, it's better, it, and it's solid. It, it, it's not great, but it's solid. National Football League, we know the National Football League has a lot of work to do, but obviously the players, it's a 70% of the league is black, so you have the players uh, there, Right? And, I mean, it, the NHL is a little bit different because, you know, you look at Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the National Hockey League. Um, but, I mean, historically, it's, it hasn't been necessarily, necessarily, I'm not saying wholly, but it hasn't been necessarily a sport that the black community has participated in. Major League Baseball, is, or baseball generally speaking, and then specifically, Major League Baseball is a sport that the black community has participated in. You don't see Major League Baseball spending money. I mean, it's interesting. I look at I look at across all sports. I even look at soccer. I mean, you look at all, you know, you go to these venues, you, you know, you hear the music a lot. Most of the music you hear is hip-hop, rap music, right? That's, you know, because it's upbeat, it's fresh, so on and so forth, right? And I and I look at that, and I look across the board, and you know, you see the commercials, uh, and 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 specifically with respect to Major League Baseball, you know, you got the hip hop going, the upbeat tempo going, and all of that kind of stuff. But I want to know when Major League Baseball is going to market itself to the black community, meaning spend dollars on black mediums, 
black owned mediums more specifically. And then, of course, mediums that may not be black owned, but cater to the black communities. Plenty of those mediums uh, out here that you have that are black owned mediums that are that are uh, excuse me, not black owned mediums, but that cater uh, to the black community and black owned mediums. When is Major League Baseball going to start spending dollars in the black community to promote its game? You know, it's not like. You don't, and, and the other thing is you can spend dollars and you can also get the players on board. You have the players that I mentioned that are young black players that you can market to the specifically to the black community. Look, you know, look at a guy like a Kyler Murray, right? Like you look at a guy like a Kyler Murray came out of, you know, came out of Oklahoma. Remember, had his opportunity to play football or baseball was as good, a, well, I, I think, if I remember correctly, may have been a better baseball player at the at, in college, uh, or at least a better better prospect than a football player because he was a shorter guy, um, that type of thing. And 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 we know maybe not now when Kyler Murray came out. We're talking about what five, six years, four or five, six years ago. Now, you know the the salaries in the NFL have come up, especially the guaranteed money. But at that time, you know. The, the money has always been there in baseball, and there's no salary cap. That's the other thing in baseball. And contracts are fully guaranteed, unlike the National Football League. It, 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 it would have been a harder road for him to make, to get to the major leagues, but he would have, you know, he would have definitely made, I think he, he had to, you know, he got drafted. I think he had like a $9 million contract or something like that in Major League Baseball. He ultimately chose to play in the NFL where he's going to get paid. But I'm saying if you look at the projection and the amount of money, let's say the Kyler Murray in the National Football League equated to the, the to Major League Baseball, had he gone that route, he'd have made more money in Major League Baseball. He went the National Football League uh, route. Listen. Major League Baseball needs to do a better job of marketing it itself to uh, the black community so that you don't have a situation where a, um, a Mookie Betts is wearing a shirt that says we need more black people at the stadium. You're going to have black people at the stadium uh, cheering on the players. And it's it's a great sport. And of course, we also need more black players in the major leagues as we did have back in the day. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Up next, we're talking college football with Luke DeCott, columnist of the News and Observer in Raleigh. Let's continue here on the program. As a matter of fact, the ACC just kicked off or wrapped up, I should say, its media days in Charlotte on Thursday. And on the line, we've got a gentleman. Matter of fact, maybe the last time he was on the show, we were probably talking hockey, but that just shows he can talk all sports. Uh, for these purposes, we're going to talk some ACC football or ACC expansion, as it were, and some college football and athletics. Luke DeCock, columnist for the News and Observer in Raleigh and for the Observer Newspapers in North Carolina joins us here on the program. What's going on, Luke? Hey, John. Good to talk to you again. Absolutely. I, I read your your piece in Thursday's uh, News and Observer in terms of um, where uh, where Commissioner Phillips uh, was saying in terms of his thoughts on the ACC, more about student-athlete welfare, 
um, et cetera. I want to kind of expound on that. W what are your thoughts? And, and you made the point that, hey, I mean, that's that may be a little bit dangerous, but you felt like he was sincere sort of in what he was saying in, in his convictions. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any doubt that he was sincere. I, I think he does open himself up to sort of charges that he's dangerously naive at a time when the conference is under this existential threat. But I also think what he's saying to the university presidents, the ACC presidents behind closed doors, is, is slightly different than the, 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 the front he presented to the public yesterday. But by the same token, I, I think it's fair to say that there are very few people in college sports who are really thinking about the overall health of the enterprise as everybody's just kind of chasing, you know, uh, this dog-eat-dog, -dog, whoever has the most toys wins uh, approach to conferences. I, I don't think it makes any sense at all except to Fox to have UCLA and USC in the Big Ten. I just don't think there's any conception of college athletics where that fits the mission statement other than the accumulation of resources, other than the, the, the most money wins. So I think Jim Phillips took yesterday as a chance to sort of set, uh, to, to plant a flag in the sense of we got into this for a reason, and it was not to get our conference the most money. We got into this because we believed in the value of athletics as a role to play in education. And, and that's a, an outdated sort of way to look at college athletics, which is a billion-dollar business. But in the end, that should be what the guiding purpose is, not – how can we squeeze the most money out of Fox and Disney uh, by throwing our poor soccer players on cross-country flights? I mean, uh, think about what it's going to be like for UCLA and USC uh, in the sports other than football that play multiple games a year, that have to play a full Big Ten conference schedule. I don't care if they're chartering. And God forbid they fly commercial. That's abuse. But I don't care if they're chartering. I covered the Hurricanes for eight years on a daily basis. And I'll tell you right now, they have their own plane, and those guys were tired Professional athletes who didn't have to go to class were tired coming back from the West Coast. Um, it's a lot to ask. And I think Jim Phillips' point was, we're getting away from why we got into this. Let's figure out, let's take a moment to stop and figure out if this is really what we want to be doing. The problem is, his conference is under threat from the SEC and Big Ten. It could get taken apart for parts at some point. People wanted to hear, I think, a more pragmatic, a more practical approach to how are you going to make the ACC secure? How are you going to close the revenue gap with the Big Ten and SEC? They did not want to hear a bunch of sort of idealistic, happy talk about the point of college athletics. I found it refreshing. I did not rip the guy for that. I think he is a pragmatist who understands what's at stake. But I also think it's important that, you know, the ACC in particular, a league that's always sort of put itself on a pedestal in terms of things like academics and taking care of its athletes, doesn't get in a situation where they add Washington and Oregon and now you've got those athletes flying across the country to play at Duke and Carolina and State and Virginia and whatever. I, I just don't, I don't think that's why we have college athletics. I don't think that's why we should be having college athletes play sports. It's just, it, there was something about USC and UCLA that to me was across that Rubicon. It crossed the Rubicon from this is a quote-unquote educational endeavor to this is a purely profit-making endeavor. And look, maybe that's the way it's going and maybe the ACC will go that way and they'll add Hawaii and the University of Shanghai and whoever. Uh, but I think it was nice to hear at least one person take a stand that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, when I heard about 
the uh, you know certainly that the USC and UCLA move and you know as one that had been in college administration man I was like wow but this is the other thing is this though Luke now you know the ACC uh, and this wasn't under Commissioner Phillips but years and years ago in essence raided the Big East. Uh, you know, to bolster its football. So, I mean, you could make the argument that this started with the ACC. I don't know what's it been, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but is this a position that that Commissioner Phillips almost, you know, really almost has to almost has to take? Because what other schools are you going to get at this particular moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. Both the, the, the ACC sort of is what goes around comes around. I think the difference there was the ACC saw, uh, much as it does now, that what it did to the Big East, taking first the, the three schools and then three more, uh, was its only way to survive. And that the ACC in 2000 was at risk of becoming a sort of a boutique basketball conference. It needed football schools. And look, Boston College, Miami, and Virginia Tech, it seems crazy to say now, were football schools at that point. Yep. You know, Boston College is relevant nationally. Miami was still Miami. It wasn't the joke that it's become now. And Virginia Tech, under Frank Beamer, was maybe not a BCS team every year, but was in that conversation every August. It wasn't this sort of faded giant that it is now. I would argue that 95% of the ACC's problems right now are due to the fact that Miami turned into Duke and Duke turned into Miami <laughs> uh, at, at one point. So, you know, Miami has let the ACC down gravely because it is a football brand at a time when football brands move the needle, and it's a joke. You know, it's a, it's a shadow of what it once was. Maybe that changes this year under Mario Cristobal. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, uh, the ACC got sold a bill of goods on Miami. Uh, yes. The, to your second point, what options does the ACC have? There is not a school out there, not West Virginia, not Navy, not Cincinnati, that will add value to the ACC, by which I mean you have to add enough money to the TV deal to feed the extra mouth or mouth. And there isn't a school out there other than Notre Dame that can do that for the ACC. It's really Notre Dame or Boston. And the goal is not necessarily to expand the way the Big Ten and SEC did. It's to find ways to increase revenue without losing any schools. Now, that could be a, a partnership with the Big 12 and, and Pac-12 that's focused on football and doesn't include soccer and, and, and basketball and things like that. That's tricky to navigate because they all have different rights deals, although the Pac-12 and Big 12, their, their television deals are coming up in the next couple of years, so maybe there's room to detach football as a property from other sports and do something with the ACC. The good news for the ACC is that, look, ESPN is in bed with the ACC. Now, clearly, they've chosen the SEC as their stalking horse. But they're in, they're full out, full, all in on the SEC. But they're a 50-50 partner in the ACC network. And it behooves the ESPN to make sure that the ACC is reasonably healthy because then ESPN makes more money. So ESPN is served with having the ACC sort of be number three on this list. What form ESPN's help takes, I think, is a really interesting question. And there are things the ACC is, is, can do and probably has to do internally uh, to, to make itself more attractive to the schools that might leave, like Florida State or Clemson or Miami. Um, things like unequal revenue distribution, where not every school gets the same amount of money based on ratings or performance or brand or market share, you know, that's not only going to keep the schools that have options, whether that's Clemson or North Carolina, whoever, it's not only going to keep those schools happy, 
Uh, that's also going to be more attractive to Notre Dame if Notre Dame decides it does want to join a conference for football at some point. Right now, Notre Dame is sort of obligated to join the ACC, but it also has an easy way out because it only gets a 20% share of ACC revenue for all of its non-football sports. It has a much easier exit from the ACC than the other schools do if it were to join the Big Ten, especially with the amount of money the Big Ten can offer. So you need to do something to keep Notre Dame happy even if it means come money coming out of other people's pockets. And in that respect, you know, that's one way to do it. So there are things the ACC can try to do, but there isn't a – there's no silver bullet out there. There's no school – there's no expansion plan that's going to get the ACC out of this fix. The number one thing it can do to get out of this fix is be better at football, and that means having programs like Florida State and Miami be what they were 20 years ago. That the voice of Luke Decott, columnist with the News and Observer in Raleigh, as he joins us here on the program as we talk uh, ACC football and college football as a whole. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says that the SEC is, they're not in any rush in particular in terms of adding uh, schools, which you mentioned, I mean, natural, you know, a natural fit of Clemson, you know, Miami, because you're talking about uh, historically, and Clemson. More so recently has been good at football, to your point. Do you believe him? Uh, do you think that the SEC uh, would sooner than later make a move for Florida State or Miami uh, and, and try to kind of move forward in that manner? I mean, I think if the SEC does decide to go to 20 teams, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm more concerned in terms of Greg Sankey's rhetoric. I'm more concerned with his rhetoric about removing automatic qualifiers from the NCAA basketball tournament. As much as USC and UCLA jumping into the Big Ten seem to go contrary to what makes college sports great, I think when you start messing with the auto bids to the NCAA basketball tournament, you are really starting to mess with the, the goose that lays golden eggs. And a comparison that I've drawn for many years, going back to the first expansion with the ACC and NASCAR, you know, when NASCAR tried to leverage its popularity into this you know, becoming this national sport and going to places like Chicago and St. Louis and Kansas City and Phoenix and Las Vegas, it really lost something that it hasn't yet recovered. Uh, when you tinker with what, pe- what made people fans of you in the first place, you run the risk of losing those fans. And NASCAR lost touch with its roots. I think the ACC lost touch with its roots. I think all of college athletics is running the risk of losing touch with its roots because the things that made people love their alma maters and care about their sports was playing rivals. What's, what are the games that you care about? It's Alabama-Auburn. It's State Carolina. It's Duke Carolina. The, you know, and you start taking those away. I mean, State and Wake aren't going to play. They've been playing for 111 years, whatever it is. In the new schedule, they won't play every year. Uh, Carolina and Wake had to play non-conference games to play each other under the previous schedule format. When you start doing that on a national scale, when you start telling people that they have to watch Maryland play USC or UCLA play Nebraska instead of USC playing Arizona, instead of UCLA playing Oregon, instead of Maryland playing Duke, instead of Nebraska playing Oklahoma, what do you have left? At a certain point, it just becomes this USFL of semi-pro athletes, and people will someday stop watching. Maybe not in the SEC but they may stop watching other places. I mean, honestly, I know people who don't watch as much college sports as they used to because they grew, these are people I grew up with in the old Big Ten footprint. Let's say they're Illinois fans. They don't care about Nebraska or Rutgers. They barely care about Penn State. 
They want to see Illinois play Northwestern and Wisconsin and Iowa and Indiana and Michigan and Michigan State and Minnesota. But they don't care about these other games. And there are ACC fans who feel the same way. How many UNC basketball fans really care about a game against Pitt? I mean, it, it just it, we're getting away from what brought people aboard. And I can't help but think at a certain point that's going to boomerang back on all of college sports. And if I were Jim Phillips and I was the ACC commissioner, I would be positioning the ACC – even if it means giving up a few million dollars to retrench and double down on that stuff rather than adding West Virginia or somebody like that, another school that people won't care about. Follow him on Twitter at Luke DeCock. He's the columnist for the News and Observer in Raleigh and the Observer Papers in North Carolina. Luke DeCock joining us here on the program. Luke, appreciate the insight. Great insight, man. And, uh, I look forward to talking with you real soon. Absolutely, anytime. Great insight from Luke DeCock, and I'll react to some of what he had to say, and I'll do that next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Available in fresh markets in Northern Virginia, Richmond, and Lynchburg at Barrel and Bushel in Tyson's Corner Center and in Total Wines throughout Virginia. Now, back to Radio Boss with Donald Ware on Sirius XM. We're back here on the program in the last segment, joined by Luke DeCott, columnist for the News and Observer in Raleigh. Luke was at ACC Media Day. I was very interested to hear what he had to say. He had a lot to say, did Luke, uh, as a matter of fact. And, I, you know, again, to me, when I look at the commissioner and where he sits, the Commissioner Phillips, in the ACC. I mean, he really doesn't have, I mean, to be honest with you, he really doesn't have much of a choice uh, right now in terms of uh, college realignment or uh, expansion. Uh, and so you have to make do with what you have. And so I think the position he's taking is probably the right position. Uh, ACC is, as Luke mentioned, working with ESPN, their 50 50 partners in the ACC network as Luke appropriately and was right on point in terms of him mentioning the fact that, hey, the ACC's got a lot of skin in the game. So the ACC, I mean, excuse me, the ESPN has a lot of skin in the game. And so ESPN wants the ACC to ex- succeed so that the uh, ACC network can exceed 50-50 partners in that. This is what I would say, and I, I thought it was interesting uh, when Luke mentioned that, Uh, Miami has disappointed uh, the ACC over the years once Miami came in to the ACC. I I would look at it this way. This is the way that I would look at Miami because you look at Miami. Miami once upon a time was a was a big time football program, a a power, uh, dare I say. It, It was a program that came into the Big East in 1991. And remember, you're going back almost 20 years ago, and that's that's one of the things uh, that was mentioned. I mean, hey, the ACC is in the position that it's in, but remember, the ACC helped to create 
this position going back some 20 years ago when it went out and got Miami and Virginia Tech and Boston College and then ultimately got Pittsburgh and and uh, Syracuse, uh, went out to Conference USA, got Louisville. Because remember, Conference USA was a viable conference at one time, very viable conference, a conference that had opportunities to compete for national championships. This was before, this was during the BCS era, before what we see now, where you have the the Power Five. And I mean, I, you know, I think I think the ACC is in a good position. We didn't have a chance to talk with Luke about the fact that remember I mentioned that I mean it's a severe penalty if you want to leave the ACC right now. And I think it's the, the contract, the TV contract goes all the way up to 2036. I think the ACC is in good position in terms of schools not necessarily leaving the ACC. Although, listen, if the SEC comes along with a grand opportunity for a Clemson or a grand opportunity for a Miami, certainly those schools are going to listen to the point. And let me let me stick with Miami uh, right there, because Miami, as mentioned, back in the day, Big East winning national championships. And, and and even before that as an independent, very uh, an elite, dare I say elite, elite college football program. Absolutely elite. Remember when Miami was still in the Big East playing for the national championship against Ohio State. So listen, Big East and, and, and specifically here Miami was great. And Luke mentioned the fact that Miami's disappointed the ACC. I would say that the ACC has disappointed Miami. I would look at it in reverse. You come in with two other programs. If you're Miami, you're coming into the Big East. And it's just like, you know, let me let me take Maryland, for example. Right? Maryland leaves the ACC, goes to the Big East. You know, if you know anything about Maryland, I mean, it's not, it hasn't, has never had a, a really good football program and basketball has been really good, maybe not as of late. But you could make the argument that a Maryland move to the Big East could bolster Maryland's football program from a recruiting standpoint because now, you know, I, Maryland used to lose guys to Big East, used to lose in-state players to uh, to Big Ten programs the Penn States, uh, you know, of the world, the Illinois uh, of the world, the Ohio States of the world, uh, the Iowas, et cetera. Now, if you're Maryland, you move into the Big Ten, maybe you are able to keep some of those homegrown players. If you're Miami and you move now into the Big East, and er, excuse me, to the ACC, where the football isn't great, you're probably losing a lot of players, I think, that ultimately you would have had uh, because you're playing, listen, you're playing in a weaker conference. There's no doubt about it that the Big East was an elite basketball conference, but also a very good football conference with the likes of a Miami, with the likes of a Virginia Tech, even with the likes of a Boston College, who Boston College would win a lot of years, seven, eight games, while members of the Big East, I'm going to pull this up, okay, would win seven, eight games uh, sometime. Had some down years, of course, Boston College, because it wasn't uh, wasn't a, a really a football school. But, I mean, look at this. I mean, if you look at 1999 in the Big East, eight wins. 
2007 wins for Boston College. 2001, eight wins. 2002, nine wins. 2003, eight wins. 2004, nine wins. Okay. Boston College moves to the ACC. Success early on. Nine wins the first year in 05. Ten wins the next year. 11 wins in, uh, in 2007. Nine wins 2008. Eight wins in 2009. Success early on. Then it's just gone downhill. I mean, a couple of seven-win seasons, but nothing like what Boston College was able to accomplish with its football program as a member of the Big East. I'm going to pull up uh, Virginia Tech. Now, remember, Virginia Tech, Michael Vick, freshman quarterback, playing for a national championship. I think that was going back to, what, 99, maybe maybe the 99 season in 2000, right? And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech, I mean, was competing beginning with Michael Vick. And really it started, I would say, uh, looking at the uh, the year-by-year results, 95 and 96, a couple of 10-win seasons, down a little bit. Mike Vick comes along, 99, uh, you're 11-1. and one. 2000, you're 11-1 and one also. Even uh, in 2002, Virginia Tech was 10-4. and four. Now, Virginia Tech has had multiple double-digit seasons in terms of wins in the ACC, including quite a few years in the row beginning with the ACC. I would argue this. It, it, a, for Virginia Tech, it was no longer competing on a national level per se. Now, of course, if you're in the ACC, I mean, even though the football is not great, I mean, if you can win some games early, beat some teams out of conference early, I mean, you're you're gonna you're gonna be in contention for a national championship solely because you're even at that time one of the bigger conferences or a Power Five conference. But it, despite the many wins and the many double-digit wins that Virginia Tech had, it no longer became a a, a national power as it once. Uh, was even if it was only for a couple of years, like it was in the Big East. I mean, in, but Virginia Tech has been somewhat, uh, you know, somewhat uh, consistent at least early on. Maybe not so much the last couple of years. So I would argue that Virginia Tech, Miami, Boston College watered down a bit coming to the ACC, opposed uh, to. Uh, those schools trying to, or those programs trying to help the ACC bolster its 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 football program. Meanwhile, Florida State had a resurgence, right? Because Florida State was dominating, dominating, dominating the conference. Then football got a little bit better, started losing some games, and then it became on par with the rest of the ACC schools. And then, uh, but but even then, Florida State was competing, and I'll have to pull up Florida State's year-by-year results as well. But Florida State was competing uh, still for national championships. It's almost like Florida – it was like – one time it was like the ACC and then everybody else, uh, every other school uh, in, a, in a manner of speaking, right? But then uh, you look at Florida State in that very first year of uh, the college football playoff was able to win – the national championship. And I've been able, let's see, I pulled Florida State up uh, right here. I mean, Florida State's been on some really hard times um, as of late. But I mean, you know, when you look at Florida State first year joining the ACC success, 10 wins. The Florida State didn't have another 10 win season until 2010. And then 
2013 when it won the national championship went 14 and 0. So, I mean, you had a resurgence of Florida State. Clemson came around, right? Clemson started being a dominant. And then it was almost like as Clemson started to dominate these last, you know, six to seven years or so, it was almost like Clemson and then everybody else with the exception of Florida State. Virginia Tech was still right there um, as well. It's interesting with respect to the ACC. Kind of started this with realignment some almost 20 years ago now and now finds itself on the outside looking in. It probably needs to concentrate on basketball right now. That would just be my thought with, I mean, just as an observer, much like the Big East did, regroup, concentrated on basketballs, won, competed and won a couple of uh, national championships, uh, including Villanova winning a couple. So that may be where the ACC needs to concentrate on, men's basketball. I've got to get ready to run. Thank you for joining me today on Radio Balls. We're here each and every Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on HUR Voices, Sirius XM, Channel 141. For more information on Radio Boss, you can log on to our website, radio-boss.com, for podcasts, one-on-one conversations, great content over the years. Again, our website, and don't forget to tell a friend about us, our website, radio boss And always remember to support those that support your radio boss is produced by DW Communications. You have been listening to Box to Row with the Radio Boss, the Howard University Radio Network edition. Lord, I love so many pigs and shed so many tears. Now that I'm struggling in this business by any means, label me greedy, getting green, but seldom seen. And the world, cause I'm cursed. I'm having visions of leaving here in the hurts. God, can it feel? Take me away from all the pressure and all the pain. Show me some happiness again. I'm going blind. I spend my time in the cell. Ain't living well. I know my destiny is hell. But did I fail? My life is in denial. And when I die,